You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series, A Tour Through John, now looking at Lesson 31. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. Lesson 31. Today we begin our study of the crucifixion of Jesus in chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. Pilate went out again and said to them, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no case against him. So Jesus came out, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the police saw him, they shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has claimed to be the Son of God. Well, here, Pilate's cruel streak seems to come out. And although this is a bit ironic, the scourging, the flagellation of Jesus, appears to be a fresh strategy to set Jesus free. Pilate seems to have preferred that Jesus be set free, and if he can just basically slice his flesh to ribbons, well, maybe that'll be enough, and they'll get off his back. Of course, that's not going to happen. Jesus' crown may have been made from the thorns of the date palm. Um, These could be up to 12 inches long. If that's the case, then the crown would have made Jesus look like the sun god with the rays coming out from his head. That's a common feature in uh, coins of the time. But that's just a speculation. We don't really know. Now, the Romans distinguished three different degrees of corporal punishment. There was the beating, the fustigatio, which is the lightest punishment, There was the flogging, the flagellatio, which is more severe. And then there's the scourging, the werberatio, which is the most severe. And that could easily lead to death. And that is the one that Jesus went through. So the crown of thorns is put on his head, the purple robe draped over him. This is a mockery of kingship. He's slapped in the face. And this is um, just grievous bodily injury. Now, I'm aware that we we could take really the whole podcast and just go through kind of a medical perspective on what's going on. There are a couple of reasons I'm not doing that. One is that I I have an account, um, which is linked here uh, in the podcast notes, and this is not as technical as a common account that's been circulating for many decades, but back in 1990, uh, we simplified that. And also try to take out the speculation. For example, a common medical account will include the bloody sweat. You know, Jesus is sweating blood in the garden. But actually, Luke's gospel never says he was sweating blood. Um, It says his sweat was falling like blood. And 
And so to, uh, to, to take out some of the extreme interpretations and the speculations um, to what we really know, um, that's already been done, and you can read that account. However, um, since the early church emphasized the gory details of the crucifixion very little, uh, perhaps not at all, maybe we should follow their lead. If we look at the speeches, uh, for example, the book of Acts, we find the crucifixion referred to a number of times, uh, typically when, uh, say, Paul is is, uh, charging the Jewish leaders with responsibility for rejecting their Messiah. But there's probably more emphasis on the resurrection even than on the crucifixion. And, And often it's said, well, that's because at that time, everyone was familiar with death. We're so insulated Um, And so there's really no need, but today we need to be reminded how awful crucifixion was. Well, that may be, uh, but what that does is creates a kind of motivation set up around shock and uh, almost emotional manipulation. And I think we've got to be careful, uh, very careful uh, to, uh, in our our methods, that they're not underhand or or manipulative. Uh, In 1 Thessalonians, Paul really makes a a huge effort to talk about the the importance of his example, and he emphasizes we did not, you know, resort to these kinds of things. Second Corinthians also deals with that. Okay, so for those reasons, um, we'll leave out the description of the cross, crucifixion itself. Well, again, Pilate pronounces Jesus innocent, and he utters the famous words, "Behold the man." Um, more famous in tradition is the Latin version, which is "Ecce Homo." Eke is behold, homo is a person, and uh, there's a, a place in Israel, in Jerusalem, called the Eke Homo Arch, for example. This indicates Jesus's humanity. Behold the man, and as uh, Baptist scholar George Beasley Murray and others have commented, the word has become flesh. The word has truly become flesh, torn, bleeding, beaten, with worse to come. So knowing that it's illegal, Pilate knows that it's illegal for the Jews to crucify Jesus, he seems to kind of rub it in um, that he has the power and they don't. You know, take him yourselves and crucify him. Of course they can't. And one other comment, the last verse in this section, when they say he claimed to be son of God, these words seem to resonate with um, Pilate and frighten him, as we'll see in the very next verse. When Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. Just to just to clarify, why would that be frightening? Well, because Son of God is one of the claims that the Emperor of Rome used, and if indeed Jesus is going around calling himself the Son of God, then that that is a a, a threat. That does imply a threat to the uh, sovereignty of the emperor of of Rome to the Caesar. So he's more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have power to release you and power to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no power over me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you're no friend of the emperor. Everyone who claims to be a king sets himself against the emperor. 
So here, Pilate takes Jesus back into the Praetorium, probably the Fortress Antonia at the northwest corner of the Temple Mount, and he resumes the interrogation. Uh, But Jesus doesn't reply. Pilate (laughs) reminds Jesus who's in charge, and of course, Jesus counters that there is a higher authority. Now, who is the one guilty of the greater sin? You know, Jesus says the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. Is that another, yet another reference to Judas? It could be. Um, is he talking about the devil? I don't think so. Could he be talking about Caiaphas, the high priest? That seems to be uh, more likely here. Because in a way, Caiaphas is playing Pilate. Well, from here on, Pontius Pilate even more earnestly desires to free Jesus. Verse 13, when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and sat on the judge's bench at a place called the Stone Pavement, or in Hebrew, Gabata. Now, it was the day of preparation for the Passover, and it was about noon. He said to the Jews, here is your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate asked them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but the emperor. And then he handed him over to be crucified. See, if Jesus was really pretending to be the king of Israel, he's a political threat to Rome. And if Pilate frees Jesus, he's not a, quote, friend of Caesar. And friend of Caesar may be a technical term, an honor that Pilate may have received, an accolade. So if you were considered a friend of Caesar. That's like a most favored nation or, you know, a a phrase that has a specific meaning, something that Pilate would not, he would, would not want to lose that status. And the emperor Tiberius had already become suspicious. Pilate had made a series of errors and one did not want to lose the trust of the emperor. Tiberius. To lose that status would be not just shameful, but dangerous. So the Jews are threatening the governor. And here is irony, really supreme irony. The highest Roman official in the land is accused of lack of loyalty to Rome by people who detest Rome and cannot wait to be free of its control. Well, Pilate sits on the judgment seat at Gabbatha, the stone pavement. And if you go to Israel, you'll, uh, you may even see the, the, the Greek term lithostratos. Pilate's attitude is not quite the same as in verses four to six. Here, there's no hint of ridicule. He's not as snide. The Jews would have been waiting the pronouncement of the sentence against Jesus, and instead, Pilate says, behold your king. He knows this will gall the priests. I'm not going to like that. And yet we realize that it's really Jesus who is sitting in the judgment seat. And Pilate is the one before Jesus. Pilate's the one in the hot seat. Well, it is the sixth hour. It's early in the morning. And... We know what's going to happen. A few hours from now, the slaughter of the Passover lambs will begin. The Jews will stop work. All the leaven will be taken out of the houses and burned. 
Jesus is the Lamb of God. And there is the Exodus 12 Passover background uh, going on here. So this is the, the time, the sixth hour about noon. Uh, what else can we say here? Oh, interestingly, when they say we have no king, when the Jewish leaders, the chief priests say we have no king but Caesar, that's an implicit abandonment of the messianic hope. Because strict Jews should say, well, firstly, God is our king. And secondly, we expect the Messiah to come and, and, and reign. So the irony is biting. And well, Pilate capitulates. He releases Jesus to be crucified. And um, I like the way one uh, German theologian put it. The threat, he says, broke down Pilate's resistance. His fear of the sinister and suspicious emperor was even greater than his awe of the mysterious personality of the accused. His own safety appeared to him more important than a passing triumph over the accusers who were unsympathetic to him. So in other words, psychologically, Pilate gets to a tipping point where he is uh, in awe of Christ in some ways, but the decisive variable will be his fear of these manipulative high priests, what they can do to him. Um, uh, and, and he could lose his, his position, just as the high priest himself was afraid that the Romans could come and they could lose their temple and, and their nation. So finally, he turns Jesus over to be crucified in verse 16. And from here on, many elements of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are absent. Um, things that appear there do not appear here, like the mocking, the darkness, um, the cry of dereliction, you know, lama lamas, um, eli eli lama sabachthani, the tearing of the temple curtain, the opening of the graves, the centurion's confession. But there are some unique details in John, which are not in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's the, t- the titula, the, the title, the um, specification of the charges, the inscription, you could say, over the cross. Um, various quotations, the address to his mother and to the beloved disciple, and the piercing of Jesus' side. So, of course, the accounts are, are similar and they all contain important uh, material, but they diverge a lot from this point on. Uh, John's version versus the other three. So let's continue. Uh, we're in the middle of verse 16. So they took Jesus and carrying the cross by himself, He went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had written an inscription and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. So Jesus carries his own cross and is crucified at the place of the skull. We don't know for sure where that is. Um, There are various possibilities, and you can uh, go online, search around, or or read my article on on this. Um, It's not terribly important. It's not so much the the place, the geographical place uh, of the crucifixion that matters. It's it's really... who took our place? <laughs> I mean, that, that's much more the issue here. So he's crucified. And as the um, uh, ancient writer Plutarch records, each criminal as part of his punishment carries his cross on his back. So that was a normal thing to do. And interesting, there's a Jewish saying 
referring to Isaac. It's kind of a little commentary on Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac on Mount Moriah. And it, it says, as one bears the cross on one's shoulders, Isaac carried the wood. So that symbolism of the sacrifice of Isaac is in the background here. And at that time, it would have been uh, very meaningful uh, to the Jewish people, those who are open. And it says, and there they crucified him. He, he was crucified. Now, in the second century, there's a, a false teacher named Basilides who says that a guy named Simon died on the cross instead of Jesus. And that idea seems to have influenced Muhammad because, you know, the, although the uh, uh, Quran validates Jesus's miracles, has him as sinless and born of a virgin and coming back uh, at the judgment, it rejects the crucifixion and resurrection, uh, suggesting that there was a substitute provided instead. Well, the inscription above states his crime, uh, though the wording is really remarkable. Um, it's so compact. It's so brief. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It's, there's no somber or macabre obsession, uh, again, with the gory details of the passion. The description of the crucifixion is uh, just functional. And, of course, also he's between two criminals, which fits in with the probably the most famous Messianic uh, prophetic passage back in Isaiah 53. Okay, well, let's, we're going to read just uh, one more paragraph before we pray and take a break, and we'll continue this tomorrow. So many of the Jews, we read, many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write king of the Jews, but this man said, I'm king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. <laughs> the Jewish leaders asked Pilate to change the placard so, it's, so that it read, the way it's written, the way it was written, seems to uh, perhaps validate Jesus' claim. And they want him to alter the placard, maybe just by adding a single word, the word I am, in Greek is one word, or in Hebrew, one word would actually work as well. In which case, you know, he, the placard says, well, I am the king of the Jews, which makes Jesus look just silly. And Pilate answers, what I've written, I have written. What I've written, I've written. He refuses his last act of revenge on the chief priests. The inscription would have read in Latin, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Udiorum. And if it read that, um, it would be abbreviated to the letters I-N-R-I. -I. And we see that often in Anglican or Catholic churches uh, who favor the Latin language. Uh, but it's actually written in all three languages. And um, here, again, supreme irony. Okay, the two men most responsible for the death of Jesus, right, Pilate and Caiaphas, publicly proclaim his messiahship. How? Well, Caiaphas had unwittingly prophesied that Jesus was the means of redemption for Israel and, and the nations. And Pilate proclaimed that Jesus was the king of Israel uh, through the charges specified. Now, we, we really must read through these familiar accounts Slowly, 
you have not exhausted the crucifixion account just because you've read it once or you've read it in each of the four Gospels. And even if you've read all of those multiple times, uh, there's so much there. It just keeps coming. And uh, it's I I challenge you to be humble. Uh, Be be humble about this, because it doesn't really matter how old you are. Are or how many times you've studied, there's always more. This is profoundly deep, like like the ocean. It's not just a little deep. It's immensely, profoundly uh, deep. And we need to be careful and we should be humble. Lord, we thank you for the account that you've given us in John, for all the distinct features, things that make us realize um, All that matters to humans about power and control is really contemptible. It's despicable. It's a slap in the face to the supreme and high God who alone has the authority. Father, on that theme today, help us to submit ourselves to Christ's authority, to appreciate him deeper than ever by virtue of the life he lived and the death he was willing to go through. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We wouldn't dare approach you on the basis of our goodness, our name, but we do come to you on the basis of his name and what he has done. Amen. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on a tour through John. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas' teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.